This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. We want to get back to what we were talking about last week. We introduced a topical Bible study on the spiritual gifts. And as we mentioned last week, this is one of those areas, one of about two or three areas of a lot of confusion and misunderstanding and uh, I would say misapplication or even misappropriation. That's one of these areas that a, peop- that a lot of people just get wrong. And it's not because people are stupid. They're not. It's because there's just way too many different groups with way, way too many different takes on the subject of the spiritual gifts. And as, as is so often the case, well, where's the truth? The truth is very often found in the middle between two extremes of errors. Just as Jesus was crucified between two malefactors, and He being the way, the truth, the life, so also often is the truth found between two different extremes concerning, uh, well, concerning, say, the spiritual gifts or other things. The book of the the Revelation is another area that a lot of people get wrong. And so we're going to try to do our very best to clear up a lot of that confusion. Now, Paul does a wonderful job of doing that. And we're really going largely off of his text, right out of 1 Corinthians chapters 13, uh, 12, 13, and 14 is where he talks about them, predominantly chapter 12. So what are the spiritual gifts? Without without backtracking too much into our introduction, we talked about how there's nine of them. There's nine of them. And he doesn't spell it out quite like a, a list of bullet points here in chapter 12, but it's pretty close. And, uh, and he, you know, let's just go back to chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And we've got precedent for that, not only here in 1 Corinthians, but clear back in the Gospels when Peter first um, burst out on the boat with, you know, when Jesus asked the question, you know, who say ye that I am? And Jesus said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because it was not man that revealed this unto you, but it was the Holy Ghost of the Holy Spirit that revealed this unto you. And so that's actually one example of word of wisdom or of word of knowledge, which are two of the gifts that he talks about, gifts of the Spirit. And we talked about a lot of things that are not gifts of the Spirit that people try, some people in some groups try to represent as gifts of the Spirit, like gift of laughter, that's not a spiritual gift. Gift of painting, that's not a spiritual gift. Well, I have the gift of song, alright? Well, that's not a spiritual gift. These are not spiritual gifts. They're skills that people develop. Some people seem to have more of a natural knack for some things than others have. But what Paul is talking about are definite, biblically backed up, definitive, well, that's the same thing as definite, 
Gifts bestowed by God through the Holy Spirit to an individual for the purpose of the edification and strengthening and perfection and altogether profit of the body of Christ. That's what the gifts are for. They are not for anybody to claim as their own or to claim as a, some kind of a superpower bestowed upon them from heaven and they can just run around town or run around the country healing people all over the place. That's not how they work. And because of a lot of bad understanding uh, concerning the spiritual gifts, it's given them all a bad name. And so now you hear anybody talking about them and they instantly get a Pentecostal label slapped on them. No. Pentecostals don't have the market cornered on the spiritual gifts, and they never did. Now, they tend to be a bit more open where the spiritual gifts are concerned because they have a greater emphasis on those gifts in some Pentecostal congregations, but there are Baptist churches where people have been healed, and there are Catholic churches that have experienced miracles. They just have an extremely methodical vetting process to determine whether or not they were, in fact, miraculous. You know what I'm saying. Some of you may know what I'm saying. So these gifts are not subject to a church's denominational label. And they never have been. What they can be subject to is a, is a denomination or a congregation's faith or lack thereof. Now we've seen gift of healing happen here. And I've referred to that often because it's real and it edifies people even when you talk about it long after the fact. No one group has the market cornered. These gifts belong to God. And God gives them to whomsoever He will when He deems it and when they're needed most and according to whatever parameters that He has in place. What we want to do in, in last Bible study and in this Bible study, and if we don't finish it in this Bible study, in the next Bible study, what we want to do is clear up the wrong understandings and possess a good understanding. Now see, here's the good news, okay? I know I got a little bit cerebral last week and I wasn't really trying to go that way, but the gifts of the Spirit are also not subject to our understanding of them or lack thereof. And if you don't know what I mean by that, it doesn't matter if you don't have a perfect understanding of the gifts, okay? God can still give them. He can still bless somebody with healing. He can still bless somebody with discernment of spirits. He can still bless somebody with a miracle of some kind. He can still bless people with faith, regardless of whether or not that person or anybody else has a, a right on point understanding of what they're all about. So what's our responsibility concerning the spiritual gifts? What's our responsibility? Don't disbelieve in them. I know that's a double negative. Okay? Be open to them. Covet them. Because Paul even tells us here in his letter to the Corinthians to covet the best gifts. Be open to them. Believe in them. Be ready to believe it when it happens to somebody or certainly if it needs to happen to you. Pray for and seek them, but pray with a pure heart. Not, don't pray like James was talking about not praying, you know, about you have not because you ask not. And then he says, you ask and, and, and have not or receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. So we don't want to be seeking and coveting the spiritual gifts for the wrong motives. 
You know, because we, we, because we ourselves are perhaps afflicted with doubt where they're concerned. Or because we want, to see, we want to see God work those gifts through us so that we can have some kind of a reputation. That's, a, that's missing the mark right there. That really is. That's a wrong motive. That's an impure motive. God's not going to honor that motive. For we have no reason to believe that He would honor that kind of a motive. But if we're seeking healing because there really needs to be healing, we'll seek believing. Because... Nowhere in Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation, nowhere in Scripture do we have a cause to believe that these gifts have ceased. And now I'm getting a little ahead of myself because, yes, I know what he says over in chapter 13. We're going to pick that apart here shortly. Not to dismantle it, but to put it in its right frame of context so that we understand. Because the gifts are still very much alive and real and still very much for us today. So, we talked about... The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discernment of spirits last week. We talked about those three. And because he talks about them here in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, he says in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by by the same Spirit. And we talked about that last week. That all these gifts come from God. They're all given by God. They're administered by God. And... It's not that they come from different sources, and they certainly don't come from the preacher. They never came from the preacher, did they? No, it doesn't matter what tent revival it was, however many decades ago. The gifts didn't belong to the preacher, didn't belong to the pastor or the associate minister or the overseer or the traveling evangelist that came into town smacking people in the head and snatching away their crutches. The gifts didn't come from him. He ought not to have been smacking people in the head anyway. The overwhelming majority of that stuff is charlatanry and absolute nonsense. At best, it's ignorant and unbiblical. At worst, it's someone putting on a show and deceiving people. And we don't want to have any part of any of the false stuff. We want what's real. But the good news is, when it's real, you don't have to put on an act. You don't have to put on an act. When somebody gets healed, they'll know, they will know that they are healed. It's a fact. When Peter and John walked into the temple by the, was it the gate that was called Beautiful, and the lame man that sat outside the gate was begging alms of those that were going inside, and he begged of Peter and John, and Peter and John said, he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, Peter didn't have to put his hand on the guy's head and shove him to the ground. And then tell them, okay, now start convulsing and twitching like you're having an epileptic fit. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He didn't have to do all of that. He invoked the name of Jesus and he did it in faith believing. And that man, his bones received strength. And then he didn't have to go home and pray about whether or not he'd gotten healed. He didn't have to convince himself that he had gotten healed. The lame man leapt up and started leaping and jumping and shouting, and it was evident to everybody that was there. This was a miracle of healing and a gift that had, that had been given and a miracle that had happened. There was no doubt, was there? So the theatrics aren't really of God. And, I, and I'm thinking of something in particular talking about that. We met here, my, my wife and I, Reverend Ryder, we all came on that one particular Saturday to meet some people that wanted us to pray for him. He was struggling with something, and we prayed. And then he started to spaz out. And then he fell on the floor. And he started twitching and jumping and bouncing off the floor, off of his back, 
like he was anybody that anybody that didn't know the man's history would thought this guy is absolutely having a seizure. Well, he wasn't. What he was having was an act. It was a big show. That was not the Holy Ghost. I know that when the soldiers came to check on the body of Jesus, or excuse me, no, uh, that when the tomb opened up, that the Roman soldiers that were there fell back as dead men. But those weren't Christians, were they? They weren't godly men, were they? They were Roman soldiers in a military occupation that happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Or at least were on the wrong side of that fence when it happened. So that isn't precedent for all these Corinthian charismatic theatrics that go on in a lot of congregations. And I'm not trying to be up here and just bash and throw stones. But understand what's a counterfeit and understand what's real. So we talked about these three of these gifts last week. We talked about the word of wisdom, the of knowledge, and of discerning of spirits. But then there's another classification of gifts or another category of gifts that he talks about in here, which are gifts of utterance because they refer to the tongue or they refer to speech, okay? Last week we talked about uh, gifts that related to the mind. These gifts relate, relate to speech and that's the gift of tongues and of interpretations and the gift of prophecy. These are still very much for us today. And there are other gifts as well. There's gifts of power like miracles, healing, and faith. But in the context we're talking about here, you know what, let's just read on a little bit so we stay in the Word. Verse 9, To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, notice what Paul does here. It's not, it's not exactly bait and switch. And it's not exactly distraction. He's making sure that he's teaching on the subject of these gifts in the context of every one of the believers being members in a single spiritual body, which is the body of Christ. And we know that that, which is made up of individual believers, transcends all man-made barriers. It transcends denominational labels. It transcends uh, to whatever extent, either greater or lesser extent. It translates or it transcends... Um, even whole schools of thought. Because have you ever believed something about the Word of God that turned out to not be true? But you believed it ardently until you were brought into a more perfect understanding by way of the Holy Spirit, either, by, by, either, through, a, an, either through an informed and knowledgeable preacher or by your own studies, by your own readings, or just through prayer and the Holy Ghost dealing with your heart. We're all members of one body. And so when we're talking about the spiritual gifts, that's the context that it's in. 
His emphasis is on the unity of the believers in the body of Christ, not on the individual gifts themselves. There's no room for personal glory when it comes to this. And then he, he talks about that to a greater extent in other, in other of his writings. I want to say in Romans, he talks about it. And, you know, We're all members of one body. And just as every one of us individually, we have a body and we have all the components of our body. We each have eyes, hands, feet, and so on. No one part is any more important than the other parts. So it is in the body of Christ. The deacon is not more important than uh, the person that just got saved last week and is now a new member in the faith. Nobody's more important than the other. Neither is the pastor more important than anybody else. Certainly the usher is not more important than anybody else. Neither is any one church member more important than any other church member, no matter how big their tithe check is. Really. We're all members. We're all members. And we're all united by that faith, as many as have been born again. The foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Well, no, of course not. It's still, a, still part of the body. So there's no cause for any one member in the body of Christ to suffer an inferiority complex either. Oh, well, I'm not important in the church. Yes, you are. Well, I've only been here a few months. I'm not that important. Yes, you are. You were important enough for Jesus to die and to apply His blood to your life when you repented of your sins. You have just as much value as the fellow who's been coming for 80 years. We haven't been around for 80. This building hasn't been here for 80 years. You know, the guy that's been coming for 80 years and has raised up nine kids and grandkids in the, in, in the church. You're just as important and you always were. So don't let, don't let the devil lie to you and say that you're not important. Don't let another person lie to you and say that you're not important. Let's get down more towards where he's talking about the gifts here. Members in one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Now, you know what, let's pick it up at verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? He asks that question in verse 29. Well, the answer is no. Are all prophets? Well, no. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Well, no. Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, show I unto you a more excellent way. You notice how he keeps jumping away from them. He talks on the gifts and then he jumps away to divert our attention to something that is more important than the gifts. And why is that? Well, because any kind of manifestation of the power of God is a very sensational thing. It really is. And I don't say that in a negative context at all. It gets people's attention. And even without trying to make it into a show, it is a show in and of itself. Because when someone who's dying of an incurable disease goes to the hospital and they take x-rays and they can't find any evidence of the disease anymore, he's not going to keep that to himself. 
It's going to baffle the physicians, and I always rejoice when that sort of thing happens because it's just totally awesome to see God slap human reasoning completely across the face and confound it and, and cause it to stumble and not have an answer and just, and just stutter. I don't understand. You know, we saw it was a you know, stage three malignant mass that was killing this person and it was inoperable and now it's gone. Yes, it still happens. It still happens. But I want to talk a little bit more about what he's talking about with these three gifts. Tongues and interpretations and prophecy. Now prophecy, we know what that is. Prophecy is when the Spirit of God moves upon someone who is open to it. Okay? Because when he moves upon someone who's not open to it, nothing happens. Because that person's a closed book and a closed mouth. And they, they won't utter anything. Either because they're stubborn or they're filled with doubt. And it's usually doubt. It's usually doubt. It's usually unbelief that stays the mouth of someone that God would trying to be worked through, would try to be speaking through to prophesy. But a prophecy is when the Spirit of God moves upon a person. It can be either a man or a woman. Yes, it can. That's prophecy right out of Joel, right there. He says, "Your sons and daughters, they'll prophesy." Okay. A prophecy is when the Spirit of God moves upon someone and a message comes forth from that person for the people that are there to hear it. It is, it is an acute manifestation of the power of God communicating or of God Himself communicating to the people. And ideally, ideally, this should happen in a certain context, every time a preacher preaches. It should. It doesn't always. That's called a message. It's not a sermon. A sermon is something else. A sermon is something that is pre-prepared and is, uh, may or may not be directly inspired at that moment. I'm not saying it's wrong or bad. I'm just saying that it's different. A sermon may, sermons are not always directly inspired by the Holy Ghost. There have been tons upon tons of sermons preached throughout the history of the church that were merely sermons. They were organized addresses from Scripture or on some point, and they were teachings, or they might have been an acute, um, <coughs> excuse me, dealing with a particular issue at that time. But there's a difference between the two. A prophecy is something that is absolutely coming right from the Spirit of God into the mind and heart of a person to share with the people at that moment. And there have been times when church services have been interrupted by that sort of thing. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen with as much frequency as God wants and as, as people are willing to allow. Does that make sense? I'm thinking of that one right before we all left Graham. Reverend Wright stood up in the midst of the congregation and prophesied right there. And it was a direct reference to, uh, to Jacob and Esau in the context of it. It was wonderful and you knew that it was of God because the Spirit of God was palpably sensible right there. You could feel Him. You could feel the Spirit of God all throughout the congregation. It was a marvelous thing to behold. It was wonderful. And no, it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does and when it's real, you know it. And it's a wonderful thing. Now tongues. Boy, this is the one, isn't it? Mm, preacher, you don't expect me to believe in that, do you? Well, why not? Why not? Oh, I know why not. I, I know why not. 
Because 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. That's why not. Well, let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's begin in verse 8. Charity, which means love, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Oh, there it is, preacher. It's right there. It's right there. No more tongues. He said it right there. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. They shall cease. Hold on. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So have all prophecies now failed? And has all knowledge vanished away? Well, no. Okay, so then why are we thinking that tongues have already ceased? What Paul said, let's read it and take it. Plain language, all right? Whether there'll be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there'll be knowledge, it shall vanish away. It didn't mean that they have failed and that they have ceased and that they have vanished away. There's coming a day when these things will no longer be needed. But there is nothing, there is nothing. Let me say this very carefully. There is nothing that has fundamentally changed about the body of Christ between the book of Acts and today. Nothing's different. Not about the body of Christ. And if, it, and if someone's thinking that it has, I want to know what it is. Because what happened was the day of Pentecost. What happened was the Holy Spirit was given to the church. What, happens, what happened was... These gifts became manifest and were shown over and over and over and over again. Now, this is where we, we're going to explore the opposite ditch of error. Okay, so we've got the Corinthian circus act over here in this ditch where everybody's always got a tongue and a psalm and a poem and a, and a, and a psalm and a song and a prophecy and it's happening all the time and, and probably seven or eight times out of ten it wasn't of God. It was just wishful thinking in people that wanted to be, they wanted to be used of God and so they were making it up. But way over here on the other ditches where quite a few other people live, and that is, none of that's for us today. That's not, that's not for us today. Healing, that doesn't happen anymore. That's all over with. All those things are, they've come and they've gone. They're not for us today. You want to know what the root of that belief is? Unbelief. It is unbelief. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's always unbelieving but the teaching that first convinced them that they are not for us today, that teaching was rooted in unbelief. They didn't see it themselves and therefore it can't be real. I haven't heard it myself and therefore it can't be real. I haven't this. or that. Because that's this very, it's the very same stumbling block that keeps some people from even believing that God's real or that Jesus is alive. It's the same root. It's the same spirit. There's nothing scripturally that supports a belief that these gifts have ceased. The church began back in the book of Acts and it continues unto this day across the world in a multitude of civilizations and cultures. And as many as are open to and are believing, these gifts are still given and are still manifested. You're putting a lot of emphasis on trying to convince. Yes. Yes, I am. Let's go back to what we were talking about here. That was verse 8. He says that they shall fail, and tongues shall cease, knowledge shall vanish away. And as we said, there's going to come a day when these gifts aren't going to be necessary anymore, but that day hasn't come yet. There are still people that are sick, and medicine hasn't fixed that problem. 
There are still people that have an acute need of wisdom and of knowledge and, and, and situations where the Holy Spirit, who is still very much alive and active in God's church, has absolutely bestowed gifts of wisdom, gifts of knowledge, gifts of utterance upon people, and frankly, miracles. Let me back up a little bit. So what's this thing about tongues then? Tongues and interpretation of tongues. These do not refer to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Okay? The baptism of the Holy Ghost with its accompanying signs is a separate deal. That is, that is a, a gift, yes, but that's, that's, we understand that separately. And we'll, Lord willing, we'll deal more with that later or perhaps next week or perhaps another time. The tongues that he's talking about here, if we go back to chapter 12 and read verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now this has been manifested a couple of different ways. Okay, now we read back in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was first given to the church. We know what happened. There were cloven tongues of fire that appeared over their heads, the disciples that were gathered there, and they all began to speak in diverse kinds of tongues. And that's not the same thing as praying in the Spirit. That was a, that was a miraculous gift of them uttering languages that none of them actually knew. But the people that were round about that were hearing them, as the Word says, they heard every man his own language. You know what? Let's go back there. Let's review that, can we? Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Excuse me, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they appeared unto them, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad and the multitude came together, and were confounded because they, that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man his own, in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, which was actually Asia Minor up there uh, in uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, all of them heard their own language. They weren't all speaking the same language. There were a, a dozen or more different cultures that were represented in that mass of people that were there. And they all heard their own language. That's what he was talking about here. Tongues, or one example of what he was talking about here tongues but it wasn't a one-off or else Paul wouldn't have bothered talking about it in the present tense 
here in Corinthians chapter 12, because Corinthians chapter 12 was many years after, after chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And so these gifts were still being given then, and there are documented cases of them still being given today, where the Spirit of God moves upon someone, and they speak in a language that they never learned, but someone else hearing it understands it. That's happened with missionaries in many times, in many places. And it can still happen to this day. Well, I haven't seen it happen in this church, so I don't believe in it. Well, what need would we have for that kind of a gift here? We're all speaking English, right? And later on in chapters 13 and 14, Paul goes into even greater detail about, he really, he puts tongues in its place because it's something that really gets abused by a lot of people. You have someone that stands up and allegedly speaks in tongues in the midst of a congregation, but nobody interprets. Well, then how in the world is anybody edified by that? Kind of not. All you have is one guy popping up like a jack-in-the-box, the box making a bunch of noises with their mouth, and then everybody's looking at him like, okay, well, that was cool. What was that all about? Because they didn't understand a word that he said, did he? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Tongues, interpretation of tongues. If there is a prophecy that goes forth in tongues, then there will be an interpreter to interpret it. Sometimes it may be the person who actually prophesied. Because God has oftentimes gifted that person both ways. You've given him that prophecy and then has gifted them with the interpretation of it. Now, it's easy to fake that, yes. But the Spirit bears witness when something is real. And the Spirit doesn't bear witness when it's not. It just sort of happens and then everybody's like looking at Him and looking at each other. Like, what was that all about? But when it's of God, then you know it. And, then, and if that person does not have the interpretation of it, another person will. And they'll stand up and they'll interpret it. And I've been present when that sort of thing has happened before, but I could, count the, I could count the occurrences on one hand and have fingers to spare. And that's 25 years of living for God right there. So it's not something that happens all the time. And sometimes, and it happens for different reasons. Sometimes it can happen when somebody is absolutely about to cross the last red line where God is concerned, where His grace is concerned. And then a prophecy's gone forth in warning to get that dude's attention that he might stop. Other times it's gone forth when the church has gone through a, a crippling period of discouragement and of persecution. And the Word of God has come forth by way of prophecy to encourage that congregation. These are real things. And one reason why we don't see a lot of it in America, not the real stuff, is because there's not a lot of hunting of Christians going on. And there's not a lot of extraordinary things going on. And it's not something that we can rightly generate ourselves. It's got to come from God or it's just fake. It's just fake. Tongues, interpretations, prophecy, and so on. Uh, chapter 13 is what's known as the love chapter. But it's, it's not out of context that it's here in the midst of 
the spiritual gifts. Because right over in chapter 14, he picks up the subject of spiritual gifts again. In, in verse 14, he says, follow after charity. In all 13, he talked about charity, which is love. And then chapter 14, he says, follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. So now Paul's going to actually frame the, where tongues even fits in in the hierarchy of the most important spiritual gifts. Tongues ain't at the top. It really isn't. And he explains why. He says, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. And then he explains. He says, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Okay. Okay, so what's that all about? We'll get back to that. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto, speaketh unto men to edification and to exhortation and comfort. Do you see how he frames the priorities of it? Tongues are real. But if someone's just praying in tongues, and they're, whether they're praying loud or whether they're praying soft or whether they're praying under their breath or whatever the case may be, if they're praying in tongues, it's the Spirit of God in them praying to the Spirit of God in God. That doesn't really edify anybody else because nobody understands what they're saying. But it sure edifies the person who's praying, doesn't it? And there's a place for that in the life of every single believer. Because let me tell you something about that language. The devil doesn't understand it and therefore cannot interfere and when the spirit of God in a believer is praying to God you can't miss the mark you can't be praying for the wrong thing because it's the spirit of God in the believer praying through that believer and I don't know any other way to explain it and if there's incredulity or disbelief on this issue I don't know how to change that other than just to point to the Word and say, it's right here. It's right here. And maybe when you were growing up, you visited some weird oddball, screwball Pentecostal church that, that, uh, that did it on cue every single service, and they were more Corinthian than anything else. And, and maybe you didn't understand it at that time, and maybe the person who tried to explain it to you did a ham-fisted job of it and, and messed it all up so that you walked away thinking, this is nothing but a circus act. But it doesn't mean that it's always... And it doesn't mean that everybody that believes and practices it as the Spirit gives them utterance, and that's the key right there. The Holy Spirit's got to give the utterance, or it's just somebody making noises with their mouth. And I've heard fakes. I've been in prayer meetings where, you know, you're walking past, can I just do this? Is this okay? You know, you're praying in a prayer meeting, and here's a brother over here, he's praying in the Spirit, and it sounds like an actual language. It, so it sounds like... like like Arabic cut with Welsh or something like that. You can tell that's not something that anybody's going to be able to make up credibly. But then over here is a brother that sounds like a machine gun. You know? That sounds what? And the Spirit of God says, that's not it. And does it mean that he's a liar and the truth is not in him? Or does that just mean that he's probably got the wrong idea about it and he's trying to which is missing the mark also because it's not about trying. It's about the Spirit of God. Okay, your name. Let you know. But this guy over here is praying in sincerity and the truth. And the Spirit of God in him is absolutely praying for him. The Spirit of God in you will bear witness many times. But it's better not to pay attention to the people's prayers anyway. It, 
Prophetic is just being focused on, I want to connect with God myself. But where the gifts of the Spirit are concerned, I segue over in the tongue because I don't want to talk about that or anything else that. You segue over there for a reason. But back to what he's talking about here. The gifts of tongues, they're for a specific purpose. They serve a very specific purpose. And what all of the gifts of the Spirit, the purpose that they serve, is to strengthen and to edify the body of Christ. It's not to, I'm going to use an example, it's not that. Well, it is, but it's not because you didn't tell Brother Bob, God tries to work for him to heal someone or to convey a message to the congregation. You know, he stands up to do that. It's not for his glory. It's not so that it should be. My goodness, I hope it would be. You know, that, that everybody would look at Bob and go, wow, he's a spiritual giant. He's a also much pride. And said so that's just pride. It's the same kind of pride that can affect any congregation in the It glorifies God. It edifies God's people. Builds us all up in our most holy faith. And it, it makes us all stronger for it. So a right understanding of the gifts is what it's all about. It's not to impress people. It's not to develop a reputation. It's not even to develop a reputation for a whole church. It's not for that. Well, who can receive them? Literally, anyone God chooses to give them to. Just that simple. Anyone that God chooses to give them to. And they don't even have to be a believer. Did you know that? Sick sinners have received a gift of healing before and have been healed. God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament to get, uh, what's his name, Balaam's attention. He made a cock crow three times to bring Peter to a point of first shame and then repentance. God can use anyone and anything that He wants to do, and that always boils down to that, doesn't it? God is sovereign. And so, well, I still don't think I understand this. That's okay. We don't have to. We just have to not be ignorant concerning them. Be open to what God would do in your life. Do as the Apostle Paul says to do. Covet the best gifts. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And desire spiritual gifts. But if there's any in particular, he puts a very high value on prophecy because prophecy is usually spoken in a language that people can understand. And that's what edifies the most. That's what edifies the most. Covet the best gifts. And we know what the best ones are, right? The best ones are the ones that are needed right then at that moment. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.